Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. We'll be reading from First uh, Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11 through 21. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wages war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Harvest. I actually just wanted to see uh, what the sound guys would do if I were this. But, um, But I also wanted to start by saying, as we look at this text, as John read... You know, we're to submit to governing authorities. That's going to be a part of what we're going to be talking about. I just want to make clear, this, this message isn't about masks, wearing masks, not wearing masks. There's certainly some application that can be there, but I don't want to be distracted by some of those things because there are some deep, you know, real heart issues that I think we need to be aware of and, um, and submit to God's word and what God's word has to say. We need to be reminded that this text was written by Peter, who was a disciple who experienced persecution, who was writing it to a people who lived under a government structure that is completely unlike what we're experiencing. They didn't have rights. They couldn't appeal uh, to an authority to say, well, you're, you're, uh, you're you're not following the Constitution, If you didn't do what the authorities said when they had a particular opinion, you could lose your head. And yet, Peter encourages the saints to submit to governing authorities. And I think there's a lot for us to learn and apply to our day, but we want to view it obviously through that lens of what they would have experienced in that day. We need to understand, even in our culture, we live in an age that celebrates self. We, we celebrate self. 
And we are often encouraged if we don't agree with something that is being said or done by someone in authority, well, then we should just reject it and do our own thing. I mean, how many movies have you seen where they celebrate the hero who has submitted to his authority? No, you've got movies like maybe Top Gun. The star, his name is Maverick. Like his name is, I'm going to defy authority. And it's celebrated that he defies authority. We watch the movies where it's those that defy authority because they're the ones that, that are the ones that do the right thing. It's never the governing authority that does the right thing in the movies, right? It's always the one that, oh yeah, they're the one that's right. And we celebrate that. And once we see that time and again, we can condition ourselves that if, if we don't agree, then we just, we just go off because we want to be like that individual. Because those in authority are often portrayed as being wrong and worthy of being disrespected and rejected. And freedom in our culture is equated with never having to answer to anyone. And there's someone else who offered that, that kind of freedom. His name was Satan through the serpent back in Genesis chapter three, when he came to Eve with the fruit and he offers it to her. And he says in Genesis three, five, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. We all know how it goes. The story goes. They reject God and they reject authority in their life. Now, it's true. It, it's sad to know stories of how authority has been misused for thousands of years. And I'm not trying to justify the misuse of authority. And being su submitted to authority or the phrase submission to authority is even equated with being weak or advocating for abuse. But biblically, the phrase submission to authority does not mean slavery. It doesn't mean subjugation. It doesn't mean being a doormat. Biblically, submission to authority means recognition of God's authority in our lives. It means recognition of God's authority in our lives. And this whole next section, it, it, starting it, it, where we're starting, even through into chapter 3, Peter is addressing the theme of submission in the life of believers. He's addressing it as a citizen, as an employee. He'll address it in marriage. He'll address it as a member of the Christian assembly. Now, this morning, we're just going to talk about the first two, as a citizen and as an employee. But it's something that he's addressing, again, in the context where there weren't rights, but he's not doing it to lay the hammer down. He's not doing it to say, well, just submit to authority. You need to deal with it. Just suck it up. No, he starts with this word. Look at verse 11. The very first word is beloved. He says, beloved. He loves them. 
he's communicating some truth with them that he wants them to hear because he's communicating it with affection. Because there's something good that can come from what he's saying. It's not just following a rule so that God will accept you. No, he is living, obviously, on this side of the cross. He knows that they've been accepted by the blood of Jesus. But there's some good that he's wanting to communicate, and he's communicating it in love. So this morning, I want to look at three motives that we see in the text for submitting to authority. And us as Americans, I get it. Even, even when you hear that phrase, there's kind of like, you're going to tell me what to do? And there's many things that are running through your mind. And I want to encourage you to try to just, let's just focus on what the text says this morning. And then we'll trust that God will help us to apply that text. So the first motive for submitting to authority that we see in the text is submitting to authority for the sake of, of the lost. Look at verses 11, 12. Peter encourages, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So remember, we we're talking about being holy as God is holy. We did that uh, in uh, earlier chapters. And then he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And when he's referring to the Gentiles, that's kind of synonymous with those who don't know Christ. Synonymous with the unbeliever. Because those who are not Christians, they're watching us. They're looking for reasons to reject the gospel, looking for reasons to reject Christ. And if we give ourselves to sinful appetites, which it describes, sustains from the passions of the flesh, if we give ourselves to those, then our witness is tarnished. If we respond to authority the way that everyone else in the world responds to authority, we look just like the world. Why, why would I want to follow this Jesus? You're really no different than anybody else. What is it supposed to look different? We're supposed to live in such a way that looks different than the world. So our life is to look honorable. Now, not just telling the truth or doing what's right. The word here in the original carries the idea of beauty, that which is admirable or honorable. So when we say we're going to walk our talk, it should be done in such a way that draws the gaze of those who don't know Christ. The attitude in which we engage with this, the way we walk it out is something that will, will draw their gaze. It'll be something beautiful. It won't look like some kind of harsh following of rules. And it certainly won't look like the complaining, grumbling attitudes that the, that the world certainly promotes and perpetuates. As I've, as I've been a Christian for 25 plus years, I've seen countless times when Christians have made a powerful impact because of the combination of their godly lives and their loving witness. And I learned of a story recently uh, from a commentator who 
who shared about Native American Indians who encountered Christians in the early 19th century. This is the story. In the summer of 1805, a number of Indian chiefs and warriors met in council at Buffalo Creek, New York, to hear a presentation of the Christian message by a Mr. Cram from the Boston Missionary Society. That's a rough, rough name, I think, to Mr. Cram. Uh, after the sermon, a response was given by Red Jacket, one of the leading chiefs, among other things. The chief said, brother, you say that there is but one way to worship and serve the great spirit. If there is but one religion, why do you white people differ so much about it? Why not all agree as you can all read the book? Brother, we are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider again of what you have said. The lost world is watching. The lost world is watching. So may we abstain from the passions of the flesh for the sake of those who don't know Christ. And then our submission to authority is going to be countercultural in such a way that it displays a beauty that's attractive to those who don't know Christ. Because our submission generates more glory for God. Look at verse 12 again. So keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, commentators differ on what the day of visitation is. Some say it's the day when Jesus comes back and everyone must bow the knee and honor him as Lord. Some say that that's the day when people know, come to know Christ, regardless of what that day is. The example of Christians has such an effect, even if they are being persecuted. It has such an effect on the unbeliever that they are going to give glory to God. So think about the significant calling that you have in living your life before others that they would give glory to God. So when we talk about setting aside our rights or setting aside our preferences, we're just talking about minor inconveniences. There are eternal realities at stake with the example that we live before a dying world that doesn't know Christ. And with a culture that constantly criticizes authority, what an example it is to display what, what submission to authority should look like. So our first motive in submitting to authority is for the sake of the lost. But secondly, we pursue submission to authority because submitting is the will of the Lord. Let's look back at verses 13 through 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do, and praise those who do good. 
for this is the will of God. There's not really any wiggle room there. I mean, there's, and there's not any kind of nuance in the original language. Like, it's the will of God for us to do these things. It's not only if we agree, then you should do those things. Only if we like who's in office uh, should we do these things. Only if we think it's in our best interest should we do these things. It, it says it's the will of the Lord. And to be subject to human institutions, to governors, those who administer laws and execute justice. Now, in a perfect world, a government is going to execute justice perfectly. They're not going to do wrong. They're going to put laws in place. But there wasn't a perfect government at the time when Peter was writing this. And there certainly isn't a perfect government now. And there hasn't been any time in between. And there won't be until Jesus comes back. And Peter knows that. So we need to remind ourselves we're called to respect the office even if we don't respect the officer. Because, verse 15 says, for this is the will of God. We represent Jesus Christ to the world. And we must understand that our submission to earthly authorities is rooted in God's authority. As citizens, your submission is ultimately to the Lord and not to the government. There's someone standing behind that authority. That's why Peter says in verse 17, fear God, honor the emperor. Solomon said the same thing. He said, my son, fear the Lord and the king. Paul had the same counsel in Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those who and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, the, the passage goes on. But it's clear that God is the one that establishes authorities. Now, we don't functionally, we, we often don't functionally believe that. Because we live in a land where we can vote, right? We've been able to vote for over 200 years. We go and we choose. Well, we're the one that picks the person who gets in that office. God is sovereign. There's nothing that man can do that can subvert the will of God. Even those who are voting. God is the one that establishes leaders. Does God sometimes establish leaders that aren't awesome? Or sometimes they're evil? Yeah. I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but as I read the Old Testament, I mean, you just have to read 1 Chronicles or 2 Chronicles or 1 Kings or 2 Kings. or There's just... 
evil leader after evil leader. Now, there's some good ones, but it just seems like the weight is more on the ones that aren't doing what they're supposed to do than the ones that are. And it's kind of up and down and up and down. And then there's some that just don't really care what's going on after their generation. And God has established leaders. But yet he's called us to submit to those leaders because he's established them for his sovereign purposes. Does that mean that God isn't just? Oh, no. God is just. He is absolutely just. And sometimes he uses different nations and evil leaders to accomplish his purposes. I don't know why he does it. I don't know how that works in all things. But God does that sometimes. Submission for us is not just an action. It's an issue of the heart. When we complain about or flat out reject the direction of governing authorities, we are rejecting the authority that God has put in place. Think about the heart of David. King Saul was put in place. The people of Israel wanted a king. They wanted a king so bad. God didn't have a king in place, but they wanted a king, so he puts a king in place. King Saul is in place. And then he does things to lose the favor of God, and then the favor goes on David, and David is anointed to be king, but yet Saul is still king, and Saul doesn't like that because everybody's singing songs about David that he's he's killing like 10 times as many people as Saul did, and Saul gets a little salty about that and so Saul wants to kill him. David does nothing wrong. He does, he lives victoriously. He's living righteously. He's honoring the king. And Saul even like throws a spear at him at one point in time and is pursuing him. And what does David do when he's given the opportunity, when he comes upon Saul when he's sleeping? And he goes and he, he's close enough that he can cut off part of Saul's robe. He could have killed him. But when he even just cuts off a corner of his robe, David is undone. It says, I should not put my hand out against the Lord's anointed. And he goes back and he tells those that are with him. They're like, you should go kill Saul. God's given him into your hands. But this is what he tells them. He tells them, behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord. Actually, this is when he's communicating to Saul. After he's told those that he's with, I'm not going to kill the Lord's anointed. And then he gets to interact with Saul and he says this, behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord for he's the Lord's anointed. When you really consider that, I mean, David's innocent. He did nothing wrong. He had the opportunity to to have a regime change in the government in which he would be the one, not just put someone else in that place, but he would be calling the shots. And what did David do? He understood there was someone standing behind the king that had established him there. He understood that. So our submission, when we submit ourselves to authorities, we trust the hand of God in placing them in that role. And our submission not only displays trust in God, but it also is used by God to accomplish his 
purposes. Look at verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So when it's saying put to silence, it literally means like a muzzle, like the good works. Somehow, a muzzle, you know, I don't know, probably never had to use those unless you have an animal that gets a little out of hand and you have to put that on so they don't bite people. But that's kind of, that's a muzzle, but that's kind of what the description is here, that these good works actually have such an influence on those in authority that it, it silences them. And we have evidence of that happening with Christians, even in our nation in ages past, where things were done to Christians that, was un, that were unjust, and yet they lived righteously. And as they lived righteously before God and honored governing authorities, God used that to muzzle the authorities and change their heart. God used it. And And again, remember in the day in which this is being communicated, think of how God could use the church, not just our local church, but the church broadly in our country if we're humble and gracious versus being arrogant and demanding. Nehemiah gave up his rights in order to help his people restore the walls of Jerusalem. We display we are servants of God. Live as people, in verse 16 it says, who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as servants of God. We may not always agree with policies and practices, but we, we are called to respect the position. It's, it's right here in the text. But also, I mean, on a side note, I'm not saying that we can't respect the position and, and that doesn't, it means we can respect the position, but that doesn't mean that we should never challenge it. That doesn't mean we can't have a different perspective. And in our land, that doesn't mean that there's not a process for appeal because there are times Christians can submit to institutions and disobey laws. There are times that that happens. But I would exhort us to be very cautious and prayerful about when we do that. What hills do we want to die on? Are we being quick to, to say, okay, well, uh, th- I don't agree with this, so I'm going to go die on this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for this right, and we're going to have for this right, and we're going to do this one. At what point... Do we need to say, well, even if this is inconvenient for me, even this means laying aside rights that I have, I'm going to submit to governing authorities. Now, there are clearly times when we, when we should not. The government has been established to, to protect, to, to have order. But the government has not been established to control how we preach this word. And certainly, if we are ever asked, like, uh, like the Peter and the apostles were asked to stop preaching in Jesus' name and they refuse to obey, well, we are going to refuse to obey. When we're asked to compromise what this word teaches, yes, 
Yes, that is a time when we are not going to, to honor the laws that are put in place because that particular calling from God trumps the laws that have been put in place. But let's just be cautious. We all have to have our own convictions on, on how we navigate some of these waters. Even right now in this time, I understand with COVID-19 and various things that are in place and different places that you live, there are a lot of things that just aren't clear. I understand that. There are some laws that are kind of contradictory to other laws. So like, which laws are we supposed to follow? Is it the federal government right now or is it the state government? Or wait a minute, this law over here seems to contradict this law. I, I get it. It can be absolutely confusing. But we need to, before the Lord, where is our heart in it? Is our heart to fight for us? Or is it to, to display godly character to bring glory to God? And each of us are going to have to make that decision. There's not a particular practice of like, well, if you do this, you're honoring the Lord. And if you do this, you're not. But I want to exhort you, be in prayer before the Lord about these things. We must exercise discernment in our relationship to human government. There are times when it's the right thing to set aside our own privileges and other times when using our citizenship is the right thing. Paul did that. Remember, Paul was put in prison in Philippi. Paul and Silas, they're singing songs and the gates open and they can just leave. But they choose not to because they want to make sure that the jailer doesn't kill himself, but that he hears the gospel. But then when Paul is incarcerated towards the end of Acts, he appeals to the fact that he's a Roman citizen, but yet he doesn't call for an overthrow of the government. Daniel and his friends refused to obey the king's dietary regulations. So yes, they disobeyed the law, but the way in which they did proved to those around that they honored and respected authorities. We want to cooperate with government as much as possible, but we also don't want it to violate our conscience or certainly not disobey God's word. So if someone is following guidelines that you might not agree with, that doesn't mean that they're compromising. Again, this isn't about the masks in COVID-19. Because we are coming across this passage at this point in time, it could be super easy to be like, well, this is what this we do, and this is what this we do. Friends, we need to get the root conviction of this heart attitude because some of the regulations or things that we are having to deal with could be peanuts in comparison to what we may face in years to come. And I want us to be prepared as a church that we are rightly grounded in this word and responding based on what this word says and not responding out of emotion. We are citizens of a kingdom that has not yet fully come to this place. That's the citizenship we need to hold to. Peter talks about them being sojourners and exiles, and they actually were exiles in their time. They were not in the place that was their home. 
But it also speaks to the reality that they haven't been a part of the kingdom that they are actually citizens of. And we're to reflect what that kingdom is going to look like even before the righteous leader is established. So many of the things that we are dealing with right now are categories of conscience. But we should be prayerful. And we should be aware that this text says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of the Lord. Let this be there for us. When we are ready to make our response or make our appeal, let us not do it arrogantly. Let us do it sobered and not lightly. Let us never use our freedoms to sin. How, should we, how we respond should display the fruits of the Spirit. And our submitting to authorities isn't just reserved to government. Even though I spent a lot of time in government, this text also talks about being an employee. So as an employee, we work as unto the Lord and not to men. Look at verse 18. It says, well, verse 17 says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And then it says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. It is easy to submit to a boss who's great. We've all had a boss that's great. Like they give us our vacation time. Sometimes they give us a little extra vacation time. They're eager to appeal for us to get a raise. Uh, they're constantly encouraging us. It's easy to submit to those. I love those bosses. But it says, with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the un. Just Our actions as employees are not dependent upon the quality of the boss or employer. We are called to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. In fact, I think this text exhorts us, we're to give an honest day's work even if we don't get an honest day's pay. Even if we aren't appreciated the way that we think that we should be appreciated. Our first action or reaction often in the American culture of this, if this isn't what I want, if this isn't what I signed up for, our first reaction was, well, I'm just going to go. I'm going to leave. And maybe there's a time to leave. If, if you're working for an employer that's doing something that's illegal, yes, I think it's right to have that serious consideration that you should go. Because then you're, you're doing things against your conscience. But Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Again, seeing Jesus behind the authority figure. Maybe it's the principal in the school that you work for or the superintendent or the president of the company that you work for. Jesus stands behind that individual. Jesus has established that individual. 
even though it kind of feels like, well, certainly Jesus would not have established this individual in this place. We may be wronged at times. To fight back is the natural response for the unsaved person. Will we let God fight our battles? Again, it's, it's the heart attitude, whether it's governing authorities or whether it's employers. The, the heart attitude is the same. Are we serving as unto the Lord? Are we trusting that the things that we do now, the goal is not to get rewarded here. The goal is to get rewarded there. Those rewards, I guarantee you, will be far more significant than anything your employer could give you here. I guarantee it. Absolutely guarantee it. If you want me to put it in writing, you put it in writing. Because I know when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, that's right. These rewards far exceeded anything that you got there. That doesn't mean it's not great to have them there. If you're an employer here, you should bless your employees and encourage them. And I've certainly seen that in our faith family and other places that I have lived. But we continue our work because we are working as unto the Lord. We see him standing there. Are we asking God, God, are you calling me to stay? God, are you calling me to leave? God, what are you calling me to do? Are you calling me to have influence here so that they'll give glory to God? Everybody else is complaining. That's certainly easy to do. And I've been there. I have been there in the place where I found myself and got conviction that I was just complaining because I was in that spot because they weren't doing what I wanted to do. So it was right to complain. And it's even more right to complain if somebody else agrees with you and you can stand around the water cooler and just keep going downward and downward and complain about what's going on. Who are you working for? Answer that question. Who are you working for? Based on what this text says and what Paul says, it's not the person whose name is on your paycheck. It's the one who is going to judge justly, the one who's going to rule justly, the one who is going to give the rewards for those that are doing good. That's the one that you're working for. And that's the one that you're serving under. So we can continue when it gets hard. Because it goes on, for this is, verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And we tend to get discouraged. We tend to complain when we aren't mindful of God. Why do we gather together regularly? Why do we gather together in small groups so we can remind each other, remember God is there. Don't you see his hand there? Don't you see that he is working? Don't you see the opportunity that you have to be a witness for Christ? That's what we're doing when we gather together. We're helping each other be mindful of God so that you can endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you sin and are beaten for it? You endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For it is to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. 
Yes, we submit to our governing authorities and to our employers, but we are doing it because Jesus has left us an example. And that's the, the third reason, motivation for us to submit, following the example of Christ. Look back at the text. Again, verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. He suffered for you. He didn't take the easiest way. He didn't take the most convenient way. If anyone had a platform to stand on to say, this is wrong and I'm being, I'm being uh, unjustly treated. You can't beat the perfect example. But Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Anyone here in that category? Didn't think so. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This word entrusting is the one we need to, to hold on to. Because we are quick to want to respond. We are tempted to revile. I feel it. When someone criticizes me, I just want to think of 10 things to criticize them because I want them to stop criticizing me and I want to look awesome. So all these things come to my head. I just want to, I just want to give it back to them. And no, we shouldn't take it from our boss and then go home and give it to our family. No, we shouldn't do that either. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. You hurt me, so I'm gonna. Do you know what they did to me? Let's go and. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Are we entrusting ourselves? to him who judges justly? Do we have a picture of the one who judges justly? Do we have a picture of him? When he speaks, stuff comes into existence. When he decides to end a nation, he can remove a leader or put one in. He can take the whole landmass and throw it into the ocean. That's the one who judges justly. Are we seeing him there and are we entrusting ourselves to him? Yes, I know we have means and, and ways to make appeals in our land. At least we do now. And we can do that graciously. But where is our heart attitude? Are we entrusting ourselves to him? And are we developing that? Are we laying that foundation for the day when things get when they actually get hard. If we think they're hard now, we are missing the boat. Are we entrusting ourselves to him? 
Now, let me be clear. We aren't saved by following Jesus' example. You aren't saved by following Jesus' example. He's not just a good example to follow. If you do that, that's really nice to do. We need a Savior. It says in verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If you have not returned to Christ, if you've not repented and believed, he's not the shepherd and overseer of your soul. You're bound for an eternity without him. And I want to encourage you to respond to him. But for those who have responded to him, live in the good of this. He bore our sins in his body. And as you're walking through hard things, remember we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. There's one who holds us so tightly that no one can snatch us out of his hand. Friends, the unsaved world is watching us. But the shepherd in heaven is also watching over us. So we have nothing to fear. We can submit to him and know that he will work everything together for our good and for his glory. How do we apply this text to all the details that we're dealing with right now? I can't answer all those questions right now. I can't hit all the nuances of the experiences that you are having. But I can talk about the heart of the matter in which we need to respond. Are we entrusting ourselves to the shepherd and overseer of our souls? Are we in prayer saying, God, I know it is your will for me to submit to these authorities Help me to do it in such a way that will bring so much glory to your name and will be such a fragrant to Christ that it might even open the door to see people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it's at my expense. Glory be to your name. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard this is a hard text for us to hear particularly in the nation in which we live our nation even began with those who were going against authority and felt called by god to do so And the fabric of our nation is unraveling before us, rejecting you and rejecting your ways. God, help us to apply the truth of this text. Help us, Lord, to apply the truth of this text in a way that's not legalism and certainly doesn't give us to license to use sin to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Lord, help us to accomplish, help us to apply the truth of this text with Jesus in view. Help us, Lord, to see Christ. 
when decisions are made or when hardship is put in our path, Father, would you help us to see Jesus first, to look to the shepherd and overseer of our souls, that our response is to him, that we would go to him first, that we can come to you through him in prayer to understand what you're calling us to do, God. Help us not to respond harshly, quickly, certainly not sinfully. But as we respond, Father, would we be the aroma of Christ to God, to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing because we rightly see the greatest authority that stands behind these earthly authorities is you. And may we always look to that day when we won't have to have conversations of what do we do. We'll just be talking about what Jesus has done because we won't question authority on that day. We won't wonder if it's going to be just because it will always be just. And help us, Lord, to focus on that day as we navigate things in this day and use this body to bring glory to your name. We ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Why don't we stand and respond? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.